Welcome to the Central Christian Church Message Podcast. We are passionate about leading people to discover and fully own faith in Jesus. It is our desire that the following message inspires you to take your next steps in your own faith. Let's dive in. to each and every one of you and wherever you are. Uh, We're glad you're here. Uh, Welcome all the other campuses and welcome online. Uh, Great to have you with us. Hey, um, I want to uh, encourage you right now to do what we have done every week for the past couple months and that is take your Bible, open your Bible to the book of James. Uh, We're going to continue today in a series that we started a while back. Uh, The theme of this is uh, living a genuine life. We're talking about authenticity and being for real and how we can get there. And uh, I'm going to get to James in just a bit, but I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey before we get there. So let me kind of head us down that road by telling you this. A number of years ago, uh, I was interviewed by a Christian magazine and I was asked the question, in your leadership, what advice have you been given that has served you well? And I thought of a number of different things that I could have shared. And and, uh, actually, I shared a number of different things. But one of those things that I shared is something I learned from my predecessor here at Central. Uh, Dr. Leroy Lawson was pastor at Central uh, for 20 years prior to myself, uh, lead pastor. And I remember something that he said, and I've shared this before, but What he said that really stuck with me is this simple, simple quote, be more than you seem to be. Be more than you seem to be. And uh, I have held on to that and thought quite a bit about it. Um, The reason that has stuck with me is for this simple reason. Uh, All of us have had this experience where you've met somebody and you were so taken by them. They gave you such an incredible impression. They, I mean, it was... It was really like, you, you, you know, I don't know who this guy is, but my goodness, I just can't wait to be with him again. And it, it made such a good impression upon you that uh, you, you started telling some people, I, I met this guy and my goodness, you've got to meet him or her or whatever. And you, you start telling people because you were so taken by the way they presented themselves. And, and then the next time you're together, uh, and this doesn't always go this way, but sometimes you, you're you're kind of confused because you remember the feeling you had the first time you met them, but the second time you met them, you're like, I I don't remember exactly what it was because there's something different. And then the third time you meet them, you're with them or whatever, you're like, I for the life of me can't remember. And the fourth time you're just over it. And and what happens with some people is the very best they're ever going to be is the way they are when you first meet them. That very first impression. And from that point, it's going to go literally downhill from there. Um, So Roy's advice was be the opposite of that kind of person. Be the kind of person that the more you're around, the more intrigued you become. And I've always held on to that. Now, again, I can't guarantee that that actually is the case. But I think the wisdom of that, uh, because there are people, the more time you spend with them, the more you want to be with them. It's the exact opposite. Okay, Um, so I want to say this. One of the things that you never tend to lead off with when you're making an impression on anybody, most all of us, basic kindergarten material, we we know um, don't lead off with a high uh, estimation of yourself. That's not going to go over well. In other words, don't um, don't come off like you're full of yourself. Don't come off like you're proud. Don't come off like, you know, you're you think you're all that. 
uh, because most of us intuitively can pick up on that. But so my point being that when you meet somebody you don't know, are they full of themselves or are they truly humble? You cannot pick that up. That takes some repetition. You've got to be around them. And trust me, I'm taking you to a place here. Uh, I think it's fair to say few things turn us off more uh, in a person than when you discover they're all about themselves. Few things. And that they don't really care about anybody but themselves. Now, I, I want to just, again, here's the takeaway of that idea. It's very simple. Humility attracts, pride repels. Can I get an amen? Do we agree? Yeah. Humility attracts and pride repels. But you can't get that necessarily on the first meeting. But there is something that we all feel about ourselves that eventually is going to come out. All right. Now, in, in the message we had last week, in, in the beginning of chapter 4 in the book of James, there are a couple of passages I want to just remind you of. James 4, 6 said this, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. If you're prone to underline in your Bible, that would be a fantastic verse to underline. If you're prone to put sticky notes on your computer or on your mirror, that would be a fantastic verse to be reminded of constantly. If you're proud, you oppose God because God doesn't care for that. All right, now just hold that in your mind. A couple of verses later, last week, he said, uh, James said this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That, that literally, uh, God exalts humility and he uh, oppresses, uh, uh, you know, like pounds down pride when he sees it, all right? Jesus, to be clear, is the one that James got the idea from uh, because in uh, Matthew 23, Jesus said this, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So where have we gone so far? Everybody has an opinion of themselves. When you first meet them, they don't lead with that opinion of themselves typically. Usually, uh, it takes a little bit of getting to know somebody, but eventually it's going to come out. And uh, if you're humble, you'll draw people in. If you're proud, you'll drive people away. And God's word is very clear. Now, I want to I do something, um, which I'm going to show you where I'm going to read this from. It's not the book of James. It's going to set up what James is about to tell us. So as I often do, um, I really want to make sure that we stay connected to this truth that's found in the Old Testament. So as we're locked in the New Testament through a study in the book of James, I'm constantly going, I want to keep showing you things, all right? So I want to take you to Daniel um, chapter 4. Again, you don't need to go there, but you can if you want. Uh, In in Daniel chapter 4, we're going to meet a king, a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king of Babylon. And I want to read to you an incident that happened in his life. So beginning with verse, actually verse 28. Uh, Chapter four. All all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my own mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Does that sound proud? That sound like fully yourself? He looks over Babylon from his palace and he, this, all of this I created. All of this is due to me. All of this is to my own glory. All right. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. 
Your royal authority has been taken from you. you follow this. Th- buckle up, okay? Um, y- you uh, will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and he ate grass like the ox. It gets really good. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Is this graphic or what? At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing, He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. And no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar came to it. He figured it out. This is not about you. It's more than you. It's bigger than you. All right. Now, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Okay, now this is an ungodly king who had a godly experience. This this was how God got through to him and woke him up. And I read that, and you know what I say to myself? I am so glad that I am not ever prone to take credit for any success I've ever experienced. I am so glad I am above this, and this is never a temptation for me. Right. I cannot say that, and if I can be so bold, my guess is you can. If I were so bold, I would say it is a human tendency that when things go right in your life, you tend to think it's because of you. I do that. You do that. We do that. God watches that, and I think what happens is, is when we get this out of balance, God kind of corrects it, all right? So against that backdrop, let's go to the book of James. Now you're going to understand where James is going to go here. So we're going to be in James chapter 4. We're going to finish James chapter 4, and we're going to get the first part of chapter 5 today. So here we go. James chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. This will make sense now, all right? He who just said, humble yourself. That was chapter four, right? Now we're, that, we're at the end of that. Remember, we, we just were to humble yourself, God. He'll take you down if you don't. Okay, we just, all right? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this city, spend a, year, uh, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Well, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such bo- oh, in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. Now, let me just draw your attention to a couple of things. 
The first two words of that passage are very important. James says, now listen. Now listen. Now we've talked about the word listen. It means, hey, 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 heads up, pay attention. I'm going to tell you something important. So he says, hey, now listen, I'm going to tell you something important. And then he launches into this, all right? So we got to pay attention. Now, there is a sin that we're all prone to falling into. Now, again, I am and you are, all right? And uh, what is the sin? This is it right here. The sin of believing that we are in control of our lives. Let me ask you a simple question. Do you believe that? Don't raise your hand. It's rhetorical. Don't we all have this sense that we are in control? That the thing we're trying so hard to get, on, uh, to get a hold of and to hold on to. I want to be in control. I want to have it my way. I want it to do what I want it to do. And uh, it's, again, it's a, an, a, it's an, well, here's control. Let's flat out call it out. Control in your life is an illusion. That's all it is. It's an illusion. Uh, it, it's a comforting illusion, but it's an illusion. And here's how, how I would definitely, uh, how I would more specifically define it. We, we can affect outcomes. We cannot control outcomes. Now, now stay with me, all right? Your life's going to turn out a certain way. Certain things are going to come out of your life. You can affect the outcome, but you can't control the outcome. We, we make choices, and the choices that we make have consequences. And those consequences always come with those choices. We don't always see the cost, but ultimately life's beyond our control. Now, how do I know life is beyond our control? Let me just, I was thinking about that this week as I was writing this message. If, if it weren't out of our control, let's just say a couple things. Number one, if it weren't, None of us would die, ever, or have any health issues. None of us. Because if it were in our control, we wouldn't let that happen. If, uh, if, if it were in our control, none of our relationships would ever fail. No marriage would ever go bad, no problems with your kids, no problems with your parents, no problems with any people you work with. Nope, never happened. None of our business dealings would go bust. If we were in control, none of those things would not work. None of us would suffer loss of any kind, or, or, nor would we suffer disappointments, nor failures, nor would any of us experience any kind of pain. And by the way, if we were in control, we'd all be billionaires. Amen? But we're not. Why? Control is an illusion that we love to fall into. What do you control? Well, two things at least. You can control your obedience to the word of God. You can decide whether or not you're going to listen to God or not listen to God, whether you're going to do what he said or not. You can decide, like you can control how much you're going to align your values with his values. You have control over that. You know the other thing you can control? You can control your perspective on life. You can control your perspective. Is your life going to be about serving God or is your life going to be about serving you? Are you going to live for yourself or are you going to live for God? You can control that. Now, I want to take you again to a passage in the Old Testament. I, I don't, you don't need to find it. You can write the, I'm going to put the reference up. I, I, I read these passages in the Old Testament and I go, God, you are so good to give us this clarity but this passage I want to take you to is found in Deuteronomy 8. And uh, God in his loving wisdom tells us this, all right? 
Be careful, church, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. He's talking about the Israelites as they're going forth into the next venture, the promised land. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and you settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will grow proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You may say to yourself, now my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce the wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Now, I don't know if you're connecting this, but where all of this is going is James is trying to say, you know, you're going to see life through a certain lens and you're going to draw certain conclusions and you're going to think that you're going to be able to make things happen the way you want. And, uh, and I find it interesting because, in fact, let me just, let me make a statement. I'll put it up on the screen and we'll just kind of stare at it. Here, here's a statement. Financial success has a nasty tendency to lead us away from reliance upon God. That's what Deuteronomy is saying. So this incredible success of Babylon is all about me. All of the gold, all of the silver, all of the wealth, all of the success is about me. Now, again, you might not lead with that when you meet somebody, but the truth of the matter is, is these are the kind of things that we're, as humans, given to do. Why does financial success have a nasty tendency to lead us away from God? Well, simple. One reason would be we become proud of our success. Success, We become self-reliant. Look what I did. Look what I did. I did all this. I did all this. Two, we buy even more into the illusion of control. We believe that the securities we have laid aside will give us security from here on out. We trust our we, we trust our, what we've set aside. That'll take care of me. That'll cover me. Third, money opens the door to even greater sin. Have you ever thought about this? If you have money, you can do things that you couldn't do if you didn't have money. You can do wrong things. It didn't take a long time to figure this out. Ambrose, who was a bishop in Milan in the fourth century, the 300s, he said this, he said, riches are the instrument of all vices because they render us capable of putting even our worst desires into execution. Wow, that's profound. When you don't have money, you see life differently. You know, something has never made sense to me as, as a person and as a pastor and I, I can prove to you, and I, I know this from the reports that the United States government puts out on contributions, that what, you know, what we contribute to charity, what we give away, how, it's never made sense to me. But let me tell you the truth. The more money you make, the less you give. Now, I'm not, this is not a message on giving. It's not. It is a lesson on money 
and what it does to our brain as we consume it. The, the greatest percentage of giving comes from the people with the, less, the least amount of money. The more money you make, the less you tend to give. The government has released that information. And I got to tell you, something seems incredibly wrong with that to me. But what it's driving is the point that I think James is driving at. And you're, so you, again, you think you've been needed to buckle up. You need to really buckle up because of where he's going to go next. Because he's going to pull no punches. And if you think somehow, pastor, you're just reading finances into this. No, 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 no. I'm just reading the flow of the text. Now he's going to hit really, really hard with where he's going to go. Before we read there where he's going, though, I want to say this. And this would be the big idea of this message, all right? Our lives are directed by our perspectives and our priorities. All of us. Our lives are directed by our perspectives and our priorities. James is talking about a perspective. Do you think you're in charge? You think it, this is all about you? You think? And um, if we get this wrong, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have really unfortunate consequences in our lives. So let me take you where James is now going to take us into the fifth chapter, verses 1 to 6. Buckle up, okay? Now, again, as I often say, um, I want to make sure you know, uh, all we're doing is reading the Bible here. I didn't write this. Are we clear? I didn't write this. This is what James said. Now listen. Wait, what? Didn't we, didn't we see these words somewhere? Now listen. Now listen. You who think you're in control, now listen. He said it again. You rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Okay. Did I mention, I'm reading the Bible. Did I mention this? James is trying to tell us something and he is pulling no punches. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. You know, that's not how we tend to think about the future if we have money. What? Weep and wail? No, no, I'm going to party and, you know, I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to, the greatest times are coming. Um, but other than the weeping and the wailing and the misery that's coming upon you, you have a really nice day. I can't have a really nice day if I get my perspective on this stuff wrong, all right? This is what he says, verse two. Your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Whew. That's intense. Uh, powerful words, man. Rotted, your moths have eaten, gold is corroded, hoarded wealth. I can't help when I read this. I, I can't help but think about this happens around the world in, on an ongoing basis. But I, I, you know, it's fascinating to me if you know American history. Uh, in the Civil War, you know, there was Confederate currency. And people took and converted w what was U.S. currency into Confederate currency. And they printed, you know, there was a Confederate currency. And you could have hordes 
of Confederate currency at the end of that time. And, and while the war is on, it, it's got value. The minute the war is over, that currency is worthless. We don't tend to think of what we have in our portfolios as being like that. You know, we're just going to pass this on generation to generation. It's going to be awesome. And James comes along and says, you know what? That's going to do a lot of damage if you're not careful. Now, he's not saying, let's be clear, not saying don't pass on. He's not saying that. He's talking about your perspective and your priority. How you see what you have, how you, you view it is going to possibly change how you view God. And he's trying to wake us up. Now, listen, now, listen. Pay, pay attention. This is important. And then he says this, verse 4. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Well, what's the issue here? James, what's the problem? Why are you bringing this up? Because when you get your perspective and your priorities wrong, you will always put yourself in the front. It will always become about you and it will become about me. James 4, 5. You have lived life on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You made it all about you. It was all about you. But here's, my, here's the point I'm trying to make. It didn't start all about me. When did it become all about me? When I began to experience success. That's when it started to go, oh, I did this. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I've done. You know what tends to follow success is financial blessing. The more financial success you experience, the more you tend to think you don't need God and you start thinking it's about money and you don't release it like you used to. You don't help people like you could. You don't. And again, what's the problem here? Putting themselves first. They took advantage of everyone they could take advantage of. That's what he's talking about. They forgot that there was someone greater than them that's watching them closely. James here, by the way, is playing the role of a prophet. Now, you might not know the role of a prophet. You always think of a prophet. A prophet just tells the future. A prophet often would tell the future, but often what the prophets would do is they would challenge people's perspectives and they would challenge people's priorities. And they would get up and they would say, listen, listen, listen. And you know what people often did? Plug their ears. And they plug their ears to their own peril. Do you understand, if you've been paying attention, this is now the fourth time in the book of James. As we've been working our way through it, this is the fourth time that he said, I want to talk about money. I want to talk about money. I want to talk about what it's doing to you. The fourth time. I thought we were just talking about living a genuine life. What does living a genuine life have to do with money? Financial success can destroy your reliance upon God. And then you begin to play a game. Uh, I would say it this way. What you do with your money is the clearest indicator. If you, it's the clearest indicator of your priorities and your perspectives. I, 
uh, you would never let this happen, nor would I ever want to invade your privacy. But if it ever did happen, because you invited me in and you showed me, if I could just simply see what you do with your money, I will tell you what's important to you in your life. And you could do the exact same thing with me. If you knew where my money went, you would know where my heart was. This is James' point. It reveals your perspectives and your priorities. Um, regarding life and regarding God, man. And let me just hit one more time. I hit this earlier in James. When we read this, we go, he's talking about rich people. He's talking about rich people. He's talking about non-believing rich people. He's talking about Jeff Bezos. He's, He's talking about Elon Musk. He's talking about rich people, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. He's not talking about me. And let me just remind you what I reminded you of then. This is not a letter to non-Christians. This is a letter to the church. He's talking to us. And when we say we're not rich people, we are living a delusion. There is a delusion in our, a disillusion. We, we are the wealthiest people on this planet. Run the numbers. And I've done that with you before. He's talking to us. How, how does money get us wrong? You believe that somehow money's going to save us, that money's going to be the score at the end of it all that matters? To believe that there's nothing after this life? Okay, so let's, let's be done, all right? Yeah, James. What are we going to do with this? What are we going to do? Why don't we just get mad at James? Let's just do that. Let's just be, Dad, I'm done with you, James. I'm done. Well, the problem with that is it's just the word of God. All scripture is inspired by God and God breathed. Useful for teaching, for admonishing. You know, for, okay, can't get mad at James. He's just telling it the way it is. We get mad at me. I'm mad at the preacher. I'm mad at the preacher for preaching what he said. I'm mad at the, that preacher should not have said what he said. Again, you can get mad at me all you want. I'm just reading what James said that God told him to say to us. You get mad at the church. I'm never going back to that church. You can get mad. Get mad. Well, you know what you could do? You could go, God, why? Is this so important that I need to listen up so hard? God, why in your love for me are you trying so hard to get me to get this? Because your perspectives and your priorities set the direction of your life. Everything is on this. Let me, let me tell you some loving words that Jesus said, all right? They might... You might go, oh, I remember he said that. Just kind, loving words. You know what Jesus said? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't, don't hear those as words of condemnation. Hear those as loving words of guidance. 
She's going, get your, get your perspective clear. Get your priorities in line. They're, they're, you're not in control, all right? Uh, all of this will pass, and there's going to be a day coming. I think about this personally, and I think, God, I, I can so quickly, let me just talk to God for a minute. God, I can so quickly put you below other things that I experience in my life. I can, I can remember when, God, when you were absolutely everything to me when I first came to believe in you. And then I can think as the years go by how other things have come and been tempting to put. God, in my lifetime, you have shown me so many blessings so far beyond anything that I could ever imagine or certainly ever deserve. Why do I have a tendency, God, to believe that those things came from anyone but you. And God, if I do that, would you please take these things out of my life so that at, at the end of it, I've just got you. It's a hard prayer. It's a hard prayer. I don't want a wrong perspective and I don't want to have wrong priorities. I, I just want to close with one last verse. I didn't read it to you yet. Because at the end of the day on this message, again, all I can do is just deliver to you what James delivers, all right? That's all I can do. Say it as clearly as I can get it. There's a verse I skipped. You might have noticed I skipped it. I thought, that's the best place to end. And so it's the last verse in the fourth chapter. It's this verse right here. James said this. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin, for them. Anyone knows the good they ought to do, it doesn't do it. Can I point something out about sin? And again, I'm going to put this on the screen so you can see it, so it'll sink in. Sin is not doing the wrong thing. That's what we think sin is. I did the wrong thing. I just did the wrong thing. Sin is not, we might say, not just doing the wrong thing. It is also not doing the right thing. God, what's the right thing for me to do here? What is the right thing for me to do? And my guess is wherever you are and those of us with me, I think God has been speaking to you loud and clear about the right thing to do. I don't have the answer for you. I don't know what it is. But the right thing is to listen to God's word and respond appropriately. That's the right thing. I hope you know how much God loves you. I hope you know that you're his child and I hope you know that if anything were to come between you and him, he would do anything necessary to remove that thing that came between you and him. Don't let anything ever come between you and him. Don't lose perspective. Don't get your priorities out of whack. Let me pray. So God, help us right now because I think we are, if we're honest, we're all prone. Oh, look at Babylon. Look at what I've created. Oh, it's so impressive. And God, we're so prone to want to take credit. When anyone, when anyone in our life takes credit for something we did, we get so upset. We feel so wronged, and yet we take credit for what you've done all the time. All good gifts come from you. All blessings come from you. God, help us get it right. Help us to get it right.
And when we get it right, our priorities will be aligned with the values that you wanted us to have all along. I know you love us, God. I know you're not going to abandon us. I know you're not going to punish us. But you have made it really clear. We need to listen before it's too late. Help us to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. We'll see you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our hope is that you are left inspired and challenged to continue to grow in your faith. If you are looking for more from Central, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. See you next time. Until then, go be the church.